morning. It is Friday, May 1st, and this is Community Pulse, your local report on the coronavirus outbreak in mid-Missouri. Happy May Day to everyone, and we here at KOPN send our heartfelt solidarity to all the frontline workers who continue in their struggle for labor rights around the world. Today on Community Pulse, Dr. Elizabeth Alleman joins us by phone to discuss some of the emerging treatments and ongoing trials for COVID-19. Thank you once again for joining us this morning, Dr. Alleman, and happy May Day. Thanks. Happy May Day to you, too. I um, love spring, and it is one of the graces that this challenge is facing, for me individually, that this challenge is facing us when the weather is so lovely and inviting me to be outside. I hope that everybody else is finding some joy in that, too, and absolutely feeling the value and our dependence on um, labor, on the people who get up every day and go and do their work. We're really seeing how dependent all of us are on the workers in meat processing facilities. And um, I'm hoping that the spotlight we have on, on the challenges of that industry will help improve things for the treatment of humans and animals um, in that um, whole industry. I hope so, too. Yeah, this morning um, we wake up that the world is ex- has documented 3.3 million cases with 234,000 deaths, a little bit over a million people, 1.052 million recovered. Uh, the United States has uh, 1.095 million cases with 64,000 deaths, 156,000 recovered. In Missouri, we have 7,890 cases with 353 deaths. Boone County is now up to 100 cases with only one death. Uh, Cole County up to 51 with one death. Callaway uh, stable at 21 with one death. Saline County is um, increasing by 30 or 40 cases a day, 192 cases as of last night. Montauk County is continuing to increase with 41 cases. Now, some of those increases are because of increased testing in some of these counties who have meat processing facilities or uh, prisons or jails with an outbreak. So um, when we do increase testing in these places, we're going to see an increased number of cases. And those are actually people who are infected, uh, but we may see slower increases in other counties because we're just not um, able to shine the light on there that we need. So, all right. But I did want to talk about treatments, because this is an exciting, uh, another exciting potential for another advantage of flattening the curve. If we have a slower increase in cases like we do in Missouri compared to, say, New York or California, then what that allows is for us to push the, um, the, into the future, the number of people who will be infected and get seriously sick to a time when maybe we will have a better understanding about which medications actually help and how to use them as far as timing and dosing and combining them, as well as refining our techniques with um, the use of things like ventilators and supplemental oxygen, trying to figure out what's the best strategy for when a person should be hospitalized, should we be doing uh, when and when should we increase other interventions? Like how should we increase the amount of IV fluids, other other antibiotics, various things? There's that we don't have any specific effective treatment yet, but we are developing some things that seem to be somewhat helpful. 
So um, one of the things that's exciting to me is the use of what we call convalescent plasma. So plasma is the part of our blood that is not cells. And it is um, the part of our blood that has the antibodies in it. So this is something that has been used for many things, um, rabies, uh, Ebola, um, other illnesses for which we have um, concerns that we don't have another effective treatment and that are seriously um, life-threatening. Um, and what we're doing is we're taking the blood from a person who has recovered and has developed antibodies to a particular illness, and we're used, giving that to a person who is seriously ill with the same infection. So that with the idea that what we're going to do is, is get the benefit of someone else's immunity to a person who is still in the process of developing their own immunity. Um, so it's different than a vaccine because a vaccine causes a person to develop their own antibodies. And that's called active immunity. And this is passive immunity. You're just taking antibodies from somebody else. So we see this. Um, uh, fetuses and newborns have passive immunity from the antibodies that cross the placenta and then also antibodies that are secreted in breast milk. So they um, are born with a little bit of um, protection from anything their mother has antibodies to. So this is using it intravenously instead of through the gut. Um, and there are some risks because you're giving one person's blood to another person. So you have to be really careful in the same way we are with a blood transfusion. So it's sort of like a blood transfusion without the red blood cells. Uh, the University of Missouri is participating in clinical trials. Um, if a person has um, believes that they have um, antibodies and would like to donate plasma, it's totally voluntary. You're not going to get paid for that. Uh, but you can go to muhealth.org and go to their coronavirus plasma uh, uh, um, page, and they, there is information there where you can sign up if you believe that you might be a potential donor. Um, and they have uh, given their first couple of they have they have begun to use it as of yesterday. I think they said they have I don't know, less than 10 uh, patients with known coronavirus in the MU system. And they're not giving details about how many patients are being treated. Well, this sounds promising. I'm sure many questions still remain about its efficacy, but it seems like um, the yeah, data is, is looking in a looking to be in a good direction. Efficacy and safety are mm -hmm. both um, a question. So yeah. I was unable to find any published information about the effectiveness of convalescent plasma in COVID-19 disease. Okay. However, there was one study um, done in China. It is a pre-published non-peer review report, which is, you know, we're going to be talking more and more about those because we, thank goodness, we have the capacity to get these this information out early but we also are that in another 10 days or two weeks or a month somebody may peer review this and find that there's a big flaw in it and tell us we should not be putting much at stake on it and it's very small so they gave convalescent serum to 10 patients in this study and all of them received the intervention so it's not a placebo controlled trial there's no control at all and um 
but mainly it was to prove safety so um, or to test the safety of it. And um, so far, all 10 patients did better than expected. So they um, fairly quickly had better oxygenation. Um, they had previously been able to demonstrate that the virus was circulating in their blood. And in seven of their patients, they had immediate, uh, fairly quick elimination of this viremia virus circulating in the blood. Um, and again, we don't have a control group, so they're not saying how quickly another group eliminated things. Um, and that they noticed increased lymphocyte counts and decreased uh, C-reactive protein. Both of those would be considered better outcomes. So um, again, no control group, but the nobody got sicker and their condition didn't deteriorate after this. So just a, a test of safety, and it seemed promising. So there's this multi-center trial that the University of Missouri is participating in, um, enrolling uh, patients right now. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, that we're just going to have to watch that and see whether with larger group and uh, more, you know, a control group and um, a better evaluation, whether we see get a similar effect. It's a yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, beyond the we, convalescent plasma, uh, what other ongoing trials are we looking yeah, at? Yes, so, so remdesivir um, uh, was, uh, there's an NIH-sponsored uh, study that enrolled 1,000 people on their way to attempting to enroll 1,600 patients. And there's always, in these, it's a randomized controlled trial of remdesivir with a placebo, so a presumed inactive substance. And these are intravenous treatments given to people with severe illness um, under a, um, a special uh, approval from the federal, uh, the Food and Drug Administration. Um, and the, in all of these studies, you know, the, the investigators are blinded to, they are not told which patient is getting the active drug and which patient is getting the placebo. Uh, because we're trying to eliminate bias, but there is a group in the background that's looking at the outcomes, making sure that we don't go on with a study for a long time after we, we've shown that uh, the intervention is either safe or dangerous or effective or dangerous. And so there was preliminary um, uh, initial results from the study showing that there was an early re- earlier recovery to not needing oxygen anymore, that the con- the Folks that got the drug uh, took 11 days to go to um, no not needing oxygen versus 15 days in the control group. And there were some other positive outcomes as well. And um, so now they've, I, I don't know. Right now, Anthony Fauci is saying that it's now considered the standard of care, that the point is that we need to stop the study so that the people who were randomized to get the placebo can get the active drug. But it sounds like the study's ongoing, so I'm not sure exactly what happens in a case like this. One of my concerns is that once we've declared a drug to be standard of care, we're not going to be able to do any studies anymore comparing that drug to placebo. And the ongoing will have to be comparing that drug to other drugs that are presumed to be effective. Um, so there's a benefit in that the folks in the control group no longer you know, can get the active drug, but it means that that study wasn't as maybe as good as we wanted, and that may be the end of the study we can get in that particular way. So, 
So, so has, has remdesivir been used to treat previous viruses? Is that why we've gone to this? Yeah, we've got it because it was originally originally developed for Ebola, and it turned out to not be as effective as other drugs. And it was also sort of coming into um, being able to study it in larger numbers, just as Ebola, the last Ebola epidemic, was diminishing. So, okay. Yeah, so one of the, the one of the questions is the cost. This is um, being developed by a, a, a pharmaceutical company, which has been criticized in the past for charging um, uh, what people felt was uh, too much of a profit on their drugs. Right now, it's Gilead is the company, and right now they are offering it for free, so they're not charging anything for it. Um, we, I was not able to find anywhere people discussing what the side effects were, that there's no drug without side effects. Um, so... We'll see what's going to go on with that. There was a, was another smaller study in China of remdesivir, which showed no difference in part, potentially because they weren't able to enroll all the patients they expected to because just as they were starting the study, case numbers in China were diminishing. And so the study was stopped with insufficient enrollment to show that it didn't have enough statistical power because of the numbers of patients that were unlimited mm-hmm. were enrolled. Yeah. So you're going to hear on the news and stuff, well, there's been this, you know, not clear, maybe Anthony Fauci's jumping the gun. Um, and I think he brings this wealth of perspective from having watched the development of drugs for HIV. Um, so I don't know if people can remember when um, AZT came out. I don't remember anymore what those, what those letters stand for, but it was the initial um, drug that was shown to be effective for HIV and had a lot of side effects, and many people suffered through years of side effects on AZT, but it did prolong life and uh, prevent uh, secondary infections. And it's rarely used anymore, but it was the basis on which we built, not we, I didn't do it, but, you know, we as a human species built the capacity to design and test and create um, additional drugs. So we now have effective drugs for HIV. So I think one of his excitements is, wow, we, you know, in HIV, it took a long time to get to an effective drug. To get one this soon in this pandemic is exciting. And while this may not be the one we are using in another year or two, it's, um, it shows that, oh, well, if we attempt to interrupt this biologic process, then maybe another drug could do it even better. So, yeah, exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, all, the other thing that often gets discussed in the same time when we're talking about remdesivir is what about hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine? And the best thing I can tell you right now is my summary when I look at it is that it has not gotten a similar um, powered study in a randomized controlled trial. There are ongoing studies of chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine. And as of this morning, I was not able to, in a timely fashion, put my hands on the original studies again to be able to talk about it in more detail. And I would be happy to do that in the future. Um, And I'll begin to prepare that for a future morning when we don't have a lot of other things to talk about. Great. Well, I know that uh, information is is, um, coming to light each day and we're learning something new about all of these um, as we go. So we'll be sure to update everybody as we know. Right. And then the other thing is the development of a vaccine. Um, So a couple of days ago, we talked about how the um, Jenner Institute at Oxford University in the United Kingdom 
was um, sort of taking an interesting uh, an interesting um, approach to vaccinations, first from a, a financial um, perspective and also from a, a microbiological perspective. So I don't quite understand it, but they're using a different approach to developing the vaccine um, from a um, from instead of modifying this virus, they're apparently modifying a different virus. I don't quite understand the, the subtleties of the difference, and I'm going to try to see if I can understand it. Um, but that kind of puts them ahead of the game. The other thing is that they are um, deliberately um, using public support to try to develop vaccines for emerging diseases in um, developing countries rather than waiting until they're um, infecting, uh, involving people in wealthier countries who have money. Um, and I was saying that we had a difficulty getting a getting a licensed um, pharmaceutical company in the United States to participate because they typically have this, the policy that they don't want to participate unless they get um, exclusive worldwide uh, rights to the to the um, ability to make the vaccine. And the Jenner Institute doesn't you know, they, that's a, a, a deal breaker for the Jenner Institute. And I had heard that AstraZeneca had partnered with Oxford. And I thought that that was a U.S. company, but it's not. It's a it's a British uh, company. And so they have partnered with the University of Oxford. Um, there are what I hear is there are 70 vaccines in development. And I am hoping that we'll keep moving many of those forward because the vaccines will be different um, in their ability to get an immune response without getting an overly um, zealous immune response. So the vaccine development seems to be moving ahead. And then um, the other thing that has happened is that Columbia, uh, Boone County has um, a new uh, uh order as far as staying at home and it will go into effect uh, 12 a.m. on Monday, on May 4th. I, I, this whole using 12 a.m., is I think that's midnight and I think that means on the day that begins on May 4th, but it's a little unclear to me about what, what all those things mean. It will allow um, uh, many businesses to open, allow daycares to open and day camps um, and allow church services to open and pools um, as long as they, people can practice social distancing in certain settings. And um, some of the wording is not entirely clear with me. I'm hoping that Jenny Chadwick will be on with us next week to talk about the specifics of that um, as we move into new rules. None of these rules require anybody to frequent any of those businesses. So um, everybody still has the opportunity to continue to shelter at home if they want to. Yeah, well, I'm sure that'll give us a lot to talk about next week. Yes, yes. So um, thanks again, Tim, for um, being here on a, a stable basis. And we'll um, we'll talk to you on, um, gosh, what day is this? This is Friday, so we'll talk on Monday. <laughs> yep, we'll talk to you on Monday. Thank you so much, Dr. Okay, Elliman. Thanks. Bye. All right, and that is it for today's edition of Community Pulse, your local report and update on the coronavirus situation here in Mid-Missouri. We'll have a lot more to talk about next week, so please join us every weekday morning at 9 a.m. for a new edition of Community Pulse. We're bringing it to you live here from the KOPN studios. 
where we are operating on a restricted access basis. So a lot of our normal volunteers aren't here, but we're still able to bring you plenty of the local programming you know and love. Thank you so much for hanging in there with us throughout these difficult times. We really appreciate your listening and your support. And once again, we couldn't do it without you. So thank you for tuning in to your community radio station, KOPN Columbia.